Support for this episode comes from Lalamand Brewing. Lalamand Brewing is a division of Lalamand Inc., a global producer of yeast and bacteria that aims to help breweries achieve their growth and quality goals by offering products, services, and education. Lalamand Brewing's premium brewing yeasts and bacteria deliver unmatched consistency, reliability, and purity, allowing brewers to take full control of the brewing process. At the forefront of innovation and always looking to expand on the motto, we brew with you, Lalamand Brewing recently launched Lau Brew Verdant IPA in collaboration with Verdant Brewing Co. UK. Lau Brew Verdant's IPA is a unique strain of brewing yeast suitable for a broad range of beer styles, notably modern IPAs. To find out more about Lalamand Brewing and follow their news and product launches, connect with them on social media or visit www.lalamandbrewing.com. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, what a great building. Oh, I don't think I've ever presented. I thought it was a church when I walked in, but uh, amazing. The old mm. mining institute. Very impressive. Um, I want to take about 20 minutes of your time and just talk about a subject which is very near and dear to my heart, which is uh, CO2. The, uh, the title of the presentation really doesn't uh, go into everything that we're going to cover here today because... I'm going to, before we understand why we need and why we must ensure the quality of CO2 uh, when we dispense a beer um, or any beverage for that matter, we've got to understand first of all where does it come from because quite frankly recently uh, we've seen uh, quite a disruption in the, um, in the CO2 supply chain. So a little bit about me just very quickly, um, as Tim said, uh, I'm the CEO and founder of Sure Purity, we're a local based manufacturer based in Bladen. Uh, we manufacture an advanced uh, filtration system uh, and our product is used uh, by a number of different uh, global brand, beverage brand uh, owners in the production of their beverages. Um, addressing the same issue, we've moved into more of the dispense side as well, so you'll find uh, our technologies uh, in the dispense side of the business as well. Um, I'm a former president of the International Society of Beverage Technologists, or ISBT. Um, if you've ever had a conversation about CO2 with your supplier, the, uh, those letters will come up um, sometimes because it is uh, often understood as the premium grade of CO2 that you would use uh, in the beverage industry. I've got 25, 25 years uh, or more experience in this industry. So if there's anything you want to know about CO2 and what happens to the bubbles that you put in your beer, uh, I'll be around for the rest of the day. So um, my advice uh, and my knowledge becomes uh, less limited the more beer goes in, but I think we can all claim that as well. Um, okay, so CO2 supply chain. <clears throat> Before we go any further, I just wanted to tell you the impact uh, of CO2 on everybody's bottom line. Um, when you compare typically what a truck of CO2 would, would cost you um, in May 2021 versus May this year, 
uh, you're going to get a shock. So there's a number of factors affecting this. Um, but if you're a large user of CO2, and maybe it's a good point right now just to get a quick read on the room. Could you put your hand up if you're a brewer? Okay, quite a lot of you. Can you hold your hand up if you collect your own and capture your own CO2? Okay, nobody. All right. So this is the problem with the craft beer industry is that you're producing CO2 through fermentation, but you're not capturing it because the economics just don't add up. To, to be able to invest in a carbon capture unit, you're looking in the region of 250,000 to a million quid. So the economics aren't there for you to capture your own CO2. So you're, you're heavily dependent uh, on the CO2 supply chain. And this is the impact now on the bottom line. So we um, have a particular issue in the U UK because, um, as Charlie mentioned, we have two sources in the UK. Uh, one of them closed permanently and the other one's been mothballed. So all of the CO2 in the UK now is coming from uh, overseas until some of the newer sources of CO2 can catch up and balance that demand. So the price per tonne more than doubled, but the biggest issue really right now is this uh, ammonia surcharge. So when you look on the bottom of your invoice from your CO2 supplier, you'll see two or three surcharges. One is delivery, one is the new tax that's went on, and the third one, more importantly, is the ammonia surcharge. Uh, and you can see the impact of that. Um, it's taken the pr total price per tonne from about £200 to over £3,000 now. Of course, that's not sustainable or feasible for any buyer of CO2, so it, it has to be addressed. And in this country, we're slowly, slowly seeing uh, things come back the right way. So we hear a lot about CO2 in the news. <laughs> and to, to quote the rhyme of the ancient mariner, water, water everywhere, nor any drop to drink. So CO2 is all around us. COP27 tells us we have to remove more of the CO2 because of global warming. Yet the very people who need the CO2 are desperate for it and we need more. So it's an issue. Um, our uh, supply and demand is, is imbalanced. So we do need help. <clears throat> We can't make our beverages without it. Of course, if you're making still beverages, you can. But if you're a brewery or a soft drink producer, um, we need CO2 to be able to produce the product, uh, to create the mouthfeel, to pres preserve the product, to dispense the product, and just an overall balance in the product that you're making. I think those cans of beer in the back would taste pretty awful if there wasn't any CO2 in them and they would be a bit squishy as well. So CO2 forms a number of different uh, um, uh, practical benefits of, of being in the product. Of course, we can balance that with other gases like nitrogen, but it's, uh, CO2 is an essential gas in the production and consumption of a carbonated beverage. So where does our CO2 come from? I encourage you all, have a chat with your CO2 supplier and ask them that question. Um, I can tell you that probably in 85% of the CO2 in Western Europe is coming from the first two, uh, fertilizer manufacturing and fermentation. There's a little bit from natural wells coming in from Turkey. So because of the issues in the UK market, we're seeing a lot of uh, importation of CO2 from Turkey, which is coming in from uh, 
geothermal wells uh, in, in that part of the world. We don't have any in the UK and we don't have any in Western Europe either. The disadvantages of our traditional sources of CO2, I mean, first of all, it's a byproduct, okay? So the, the primary product, which is typically fertilizer, if it's uh, fermentation, it's typically bioethanol, uh, industrial fermentation. Um, but all of these uh, have a heavy reliance on fossil fuels. We're trying to get away from that. Um, and it also has a seasonal impact. So we don't produce fertilizer uh, every month of the year. It's part of a complex supply chain. So getting the product from A to B, if I told you that the majority of the CO2 right now that's been delivered to you in the UK is came here via a ship, probably two trucks, just to get into the package that you're buying it in. Um, so yeah, a very complex supply chain to get it from A to B. And more recently, we're competing now with sequestration. So um, you've probably heard of the Northern Lights project the ACORN project, and this is where the, the large emitters of CO2, the polluters, they're basically finding ways now to create carbon credits, carbon tax credits, um, to reduce their fines uh, for, for these emissions. But what that's doing is any potential new source of CO2 uh, is being re, uh, uh, redirected uh, under the North Sea in some of the old uh, gas cabins that have been uh, sitting there for years. Another disadvantage, of course, is these surcharges, contracts, and the force majeure, which is now very commonplace. Um, last summer was really bad. Uh, this summer hasn't been as bad, but last summer we had, we had really major issues um, where, where companies basically couldn't produce. And the, all those, the different uses of CO2, you've got you know, bakeries for crumpets, you've got abattoirs. Um, so it's not just carbonating beverages, get affected when, when this issue occurs. <clears throat> Very busy slide going on over here, but on the left you've got the CO2 production plant and you've got all the modes of transport to get it from A to B. And depending where you're using the CO2, whether it's in the brewery or whether it's at one of your accounts to dispense your beer, you can see it, it fo follows a very complex supply chain. It doesn't just... Um, it's not just filled into one container and then delivered to you on the day. It can come in from various different forms and it typically starts its life as a bulk gas and that's distributed and then broken down by a distributor into smaller containers. Each and every one of those arrows you see on here is an opportunity for contamination and cross-contamination. So what does that look like? It's not very nice. Here's, uh, gas is distributed as a pressurized gas, sometimes as a liquid, and here you can see a gas cylinder. Uh, the one on the left there is about five years old, so not a very old container at all. Um, we've got the newer method, which is mini bulk, where you're filling a, a liquid cylinder uh, with liquefied CO2, and then you vaporize it on site. These are what you typically would see in McDonald's and, and some of the fast food chains that are using a lot of CO2 on a regular basis. Um, this was a, uh, quite a new mini bulk tank. The problem with mini bulk tanks is they're in the back of the establishment. Uh, you can't maintain them, you can't clean them. And because you're constantly refilling and using, refilling and using, the contamination uh, can build up. Um, you also get um, uh, cross-contamination from the dispensing equipment. 
where if it's a carbonator, for example, you can get backflow. Um, so there's a lot of issues with the, 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 the cylinder, the mini bulk tank, which is, which is holding the CO2, and all of this can have an impact on the quality of your beverage. So the, the, future, the future looks bright, but we're, we're about at least 10 years away from where we need to be. Um, the UK market specifically is way behind the eight ball when we compare what the likes of France and Germany have, have done over the last 10 years to increase or decrease their reliance on fossil fuel sources of CO2 and develop some of the newer sources like biogas. So biogas upgrading, when you're driving around, you'll see the, the, in the fields now the farmers, a lot of these bubbles, these gas bubbles, and that's where they're basically producing the biogas from an agricultural waste product and then pumping the gas into the grid. The upgrading process uh, produces a co-product, which is CO2, and that is what we're trying to tap um, as a new source of CO2 moving forward, not without its challenges. Um, the picture in the middle is the Orca project up in Greenland, and that's where they're basically sucking the CO2 out of the air uh, and um, pumping it, mixing it with seawater, and, and pumping it uh, under the seabed to mix with the basalt rock um, to basically uh, uh, store the CO2 under the, um, under the sea. Uh, um, High-rise buildings, there's uh, many projects going on now, specifically in New York, because there's a law uh, being enacted now where um, uh, Local Law 97 for tall buildings, uh, which are big emitters of CO2, you think of the big heating systems that are in these tall buildings, uh, to stop the emissions. Um, uh, big project, huge investment going in in this area, um, but it is, a, again, it's, it's a long way off where we need it to be before it becomes a viable source of CO2 for our industry. Um, so why is there an urgency for these new sources? Well, uh, COP27, we've all, all of our governments have signed up for this and we've got to try and accelerate um, to, to reduce the, the impact of global warming, CO2 of course being uh, one of the major culprits. Waste to energy circular economy, this is the farm and food waste. Um, uh, not basically sending that to landfill, is putting it to use. And one of the feedstocks for anaerobic digestion uh, for biogas is, uh, is food waste. Outages supply chain disruption from the traditional sources, we already covered that, but that's uh, a need for this. And the supply chain complexity reduction. But there are challenges. So it's great to have a new source, but if you can't actually use it, then what's the point? Um, some of the problems we've got with the new sources, it is still early stage. Uh, the first anaerobic digestion plant with CO2 uh, carbon capture was only really installed in this country about seven years ago, eight years ago. So we're, again, way behind. Investment in the technology, the infrastructure, the location, the grid uh, is quite important for these plants. But of course, where where is the ideal location for them? It's out in the, in the rural uh, uh, agricultural zones uh, and not typically uh, easy for us to reach. If you've got a brewery in, in the countryside, brilliant, but typically it's not something you can just send a truck to, ask them to send a truck to you. It goes through distribution, so it's typically going back to a hub somewhere in a city. 
competition, proprietary info, um, the, the restricting the mass adoption is, is probably one of the biggest challenges because you've got a number of companies now, uh, typically energy companies that are getting in on this scene and they see CO2 because of the previous slide I showed you, it's big money, you know, it's not, um, it used to be, oh, we'll just buy CO2 from here. There wasn't a real need to capture your own CO2. But when you see the impact of those huge costs on your bottom line, now it becomes more important. Uh, so the, the, the big energy companies see this and they're tapping into it. Their limited capacity, um, the, bit, the biggest biogas plant, for example, is about 25, 30 uh, tons per day. That's, uh, if we compare that to um, the site in Billingham, the fertilizer site in Billingham, um, that was five or 600 tons per day. So you need a lot of them to try and replace that capacity um, in the future. The equipment that they need to produce this stuff, it's on very, very long lead times, you know, more than a year out. You need planning permission, which is a ton of red tape around this, as you can imagine. There's technical challenges because they don't, you know, these, a lot of these essentially are farmers to begin with. Very rich farmers, but they, they see this as a, an evolution of their business. Um, but at the end of the day, they're, they are, it's an agricultural setting. Um, don't forget CO2 is a, is a food ingredient. It's uh, regulated as such. Uh, the specifications that have to be um, followed. And so, yeah, there's a lot of technical challenges around that. Uh, limited knowledge base. Um, so on an operator level, again, it comes from the background, from, from where these um, uh, businesses stem from, particularly around CO2 quality assurance. You know, I'll just give you a very quick example um, of, of what happened recently. Uh, a big global beverage brand owner um, visited one of these sites and wanted a, I thought, great, we've got a huge source of CO2 here. We'll direct that and we'll guarantee the CO2 support supply to two large bottling plants. So they went and did an audit uh, on, this, on this farm site. And um, there's a, uh, I don't know, Waybridge, the trucks on the Waybridge, the CO2 truck is on the way out. And the truck that's waiting to get on the Waybridge coming in was full of chicken litter, um, chicken poo. And it was completely caked with, you know, everything you can imagine. And the auditor just looked at that and was like, well, hang on a second, you've got crap coming in and our CO2 going out. It's not a good picture. It didn't leave a good first impression. So this is the environment you're working in. Um, and again, it's CO2 quality assurance is important. It can have a huge sensory impact on your beer. And a lot of people get hung up on things like water, hops, all adjuncts, all these other things that can affect the quality of your beer and overlook an important ingredient, which is CO2. So it should be treated uh, in the same way you treat all of your other raw ingredients, and particularly on a process level when you're kegging and things like this. Think about CO2 and the impact that it can have on the quality of your beer. It's a busy slide, I won't go through it all, but basically on the left here, you've got the ISBT uh, specification for CO2. There's, you can see there's a number of different chemical compounds on there, and there's also some physical 
which would fall into the sensory category can have a big impact on the sensory uh, impact of, of uh, these things being in the CO2. So they're tightly controlled to the specification. The one on the right, the FCC spec, or it's, it's in this country, uh, E290 is, is um, loosely based on this. You can see there's a lot of black areas there. And these are important because things like um, non-volatile residue can have an impact. Um, certainly um, methane and importantly uh, benzene. So benzene occurs in all sources of CO2 and is regulatory. The, the content of benzene and CO2 is regulated. So when it's not there and it's not measured and it's not reported on a certificate of analysis, and again, one thing I would say to you, if you're not getting a certificate of analysis from your CO2 supplier, request one, because you need to know what's in your CO2 to begin with. So very important. But all of this here is allowable. So that's allowable in the spec. So over time, this can build up, build up, and concentrate. If you've got a storage tank, a liquid CO2 storage tank, uh, this can accumulate in the headspace. So it's important that you keep on top of it, be aware of it, and uh, manage it in your process so it doesn't affect your finished product. So we had to do something as an industry to try and, first of all, reduce the reliance on CO2. And probably the easiest thing to do is all of the non-carbonation applications in a brewery switch it to nitrogen. Um, it doesn't have any effect on the finished product. So if you've got a, a filler, a can filler, bottle filler, use counter pressure gas, use nitrogen. Um, same with the, on the can seamer, um, the cover gas, that can be switched to nitrogen. Blanketing, purging, sparging, flush and fill, and top pressurization, all of that can be switched to nitrogen. So you're only concentrating on using your CO2 for, for carbonation. Um, and, and, and trim carbonation when you're filling the kegs and, and, and stuff like this. So nitrogen is quite a stable gas. You can, you can buy it readily. It's not impacted by the ammonia surcharge. There may be delivery surcharges on there, but ammonia, uh, sorry, nitrogen is a readily available gas. Um, and it has a specification. You must request that it's the food grade nitrogen, not uh, anything else. But basically, it's, it's a, it's, makes good business sense, particularly when you see the costs of CO2 these days, to switch as much of those applications over as you can. <clears throat> so the, the small, and here's a shameless plug, but our product, what it basically does, it, all of those trace impurities that were listed previously, it'll remove those from the CO2, so you're left with a pure molecule. Um, it's important, really, from a, um, a risk point of view, and as we move into this unknown territory with some of these newer sources, it'll prevent you in, in the, um, the case of a, a quality incident. If you're not getting a certificate of analysis, you won't specifically know what's in the CO2. So if there is a quality incident, the, this particular technology will remove that threat, but it will also give you continuous polishing to create that perfect bubble. We do it by removing uh, the, the chemical impurities and the physical impurities from the CO2, and we do it using an advanced adsorption technology. We fill it into cartridges using a snowstorm filling technology. Um, so what you're left with is, a, is basically a pure CO2 molecule, which you can then use in your beer.
The benefits are it prevents quality incidents, but it gives you that continuous polishing. And it is noticeable, you might think, oh, that's smoke and mirrors. But when you see a beer that's been dispensed using uh, the polishing technology versus a beer that has not been, particularly some of the lighter style beers, you can see a, a visible difference in the quality of the beer foam. Um, the uh, beer foam retention, so the, 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 the foam uh, is with the beer much longer, you don't get any surging, any outgassing. <clears throat> and you can typically use about 7 to 10% less CO2. So the, the, the carbonation process is a lot more efficient. Um, most of the CO2 we use when we're dispensing, and particularly keg beers, you lose that because those smaller uh, impurities, particularly hydrocarbons, um, stop that, that perfect carbonation, uh, which leads to either overuse um, or just accepting that you can't get the best carbonated beer. Um, so this can prevent that from happening. And um, when you prevent the, the breakout and the surging, it's just, it looks better, it's a better quality pint, and hopefully that leads to more beer sales from repeat customers. The, um, we, we have two product ranges, one that goes into the big bottling plants and the big breweries, which is on industrial scale, up, you know, the uh, 1,000, 2,000, 4,000 kilograms an hour. And then we have the smaller device here, which is designed for more dispense applications, uh, tap rooms, uh, bars, etc. Um, same degree of protection, same performance, um, a lot more cost effective. Just a quick diagram on where it will be installed in the process. You would typically install this after the regulator, after the pressure regulator, after the pressure source. Um, this year we launched at the CBC in the US, uh, we launched the, the CarboGuard Craft. And this is a more cost-effective version of the, the much bigger systems, but still at a little bit higher capacity than the Mini has. Um, and this is designed for the craft brewing industry uh, with up to about 150 kilograms per hour. Small footprint, 12 months cartridge lifetime and continuous purification of the CO2 with the security of the 10 times protection if there's a quality incident. Gives you the better beer foam and longer lasting beer foam retention um, to stop the quality related gas surges. And that's the end of my presentation. Thank you very much for your attention.